You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. No, I just want to say welcome. Uh, so thankful that you would join us. My name's Cody. I'm the campus pastor of Renew Life Church Midland. Uh, if you're new to Renew Life Church, we have a second campus in Lubbock, and Renew Life Church Lubbock is flourishing and growing. And, and so we're just honored that you would join us, church. If you would join me in welcoming our first-time guests, thank you so much for coming. If you're a first-time guest, we just welcome you. We just uh, are believing that you have an encounter with God that changes everything. I, I pray that every single Sunday that, uh, that we would all have something, we would all feel something uh, from God that would just shift everything and change us because that is the intention of gathering, right? It is that we would be changed so that we would change the world around us. That is the assignment. So uh, I wanna preach a message today um, that, that I'm excited about. I'm gonna preach a message on the topic of repentance. Uh, now before you decide to leave and do something better with your time than listening to a topic of repentance, uh, I wanna throw just a tiny bit of a different curve, a uh, different spin on this topic than what you might be thinking. Um, not only wanna, do I wanna talk some about repentance of sin, but mostly I wanna talk about repentance of wrong believing as it pertains to who you are in Jesus. Repentance of wrong believing of who you are in Jesus. I believe that uh, what you believe about you, it really matters. I don't know if anybody else agrees with me, but what you believe about you, it actually really matters. No one still believes me. What you believe about you, it actually really matters. There we go, I will talk you into it eventually. It just is what it is. No, it actually matters. There's. There's so much of the typical Christian life that I believe is focused on um, not doing wrong, uh, not sinning, uh, doing our best to live right. And all of those things are fantastic markers to set in your life to live by. But the truth of the matter is, is that at some point in your life, you are going to miss the mark. At some point in your life, you're not going to live right. At some point in your life, you're going to sin. And the problem is, is that most of the time, we're trying to not do something wrong or we're always trying to do everything right because we believe that in that is where our value lies. That if I do everything right, if I don't do anything wrong, then I am deemed valuable, not only by the people around me, but then also I am deemed valuable by God. And that is the issue. And so today I wanna talk about repentance of wrong belief, amen? So I'm gonna pray just for a moment and then we're gonna dive into some scripture. Father, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful for the way that you show up. So, so kind of you to always, uh, always deliver and you always come and I thank you for your presence in this room. Holy Spirit, I welcome you in waves of revelation that, you're, that the truth of the word would be uh, shown to us, that we would walk in a, de a greater degree of light. I think that the areas within us that are, are dark, that uh, are, are, are surrounded or made up of unbelief, that they are diminishing even at this very moment. I pray, Father, that as I speak, you would speak, and as they listen, that you would just mold and shape their hearts more into the image of what you actually have planned for them. I think that any time that we're in your presence, so are you on our midst. Where two or more are gathered, so are you here. And so I just fully expect God. I fully expect you to manifest in all of the ways. 
and truth and revelation and peace and rest and joy. And I thank you that you are for us and you're not a God that is against us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians 15. I would encourage you uh, to bring your Bible to church. You should get to know the word. It's really hard to have right belief if you don't get your belief from the scripture. Amen? And I would just say this, any, any belief in your life that is not uh, confirmed by the scripture, confirmed by the word of God, is something that you should not put your trust in. Plain and simple. And if that offends you, then maybe you need to reconsider your life as a Christian because the truth should not offend you. It might hurt a little bit. It should convict you into changing. So get, in, get involved and get in the middle of your Bible. It's really good for you. If you didn't bring your Bible, it's gonna be up on the big Bible right behind me. This is the Bible iPad that is behind me. And so First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse nine and 10. This is Paul speaking, and he says this, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which is in me. In this scripture, Paul, he clearly states, he says, I'm not worthy of my position as an apostle because of what I did. You ever been caught up in your relationship with God? You've hit a stumbling block or you've hit a, a spot where you didn't feel like you went any further because of what you had done? Paul says, I shouldn't even be considered an apostle because of what I did in persecuting the church of God. Because of what I did, I am not valuable to the kingdom of God. Because of what I did, I will add no value to the body of Christ. But he says something in verse 10 that literally changes everything, and this is one of my all-time favorite things in the whole Bible. I find myself landing here so, so many times, just as I think and even as I'm just about my day. Uh, he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. There is so much recognition in this one verse of Paul realizing, I may have been something, but because of God, I am now something else. And that is exactly what happens when you're introduced to Jesus. The scripture says that the old is gone and the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is exactly what this means. By, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul realizes it could be said of me that I, I was a lot of things in my past. And we could, do, we could go down the, the line of every single person in the room, but we don't need to, but we could go down the line of everything that you used to be, the things that you used to say, the things that you used to not do, or the things that you used to, that you used to do. But now, you get to live in this place, but, but because of the grace of God, you now are what you are, and that is redeemed. Amen? And so I love how Paul start saying things like, I recognize my value and my value is actually because of the grace of God. Emily was a while ago just talking about uh, landing in the, the throne room of God and it is by uh, the grace of God that we get to have bold access to the throne room of grace. It was because of what Jesus did for us. 
we should all land on this place of being able to identify with what Paul is saying, that, that I may have been something, but by the grace of God, I am completely different now. That is the intention. I want you to also go with me to Luke chapter 15. This is uh, one of the most famous, uh, well-shared stories in all of scripture. This is the story of the prodigal son. You may have heard this a thousand times. You may have read this a thousand times. I just want us to read this again, and I just want you to let the Holy Spirit open your mind and your heart up to maybe just a, a new revelation. In verse 11, he sa- it says this. This is Jesus speaking. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. He's asking for his inheritance. So he divided, them, he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and it began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, to feed his pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs or the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough, have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. What a beautiful set of scriptures. Repentance in the Greek language, it means to think differently. Is what repentance means. In the Hebrew language, the word repent, it means to turn back. So we have think differently and we have turn back, and I just believe that this is exactly what this parable explains and shows us. This son In this story, he recognizes that all of a sudden he had traded his inheritance for something that was worth nothing, and all of a sudden he finds himself in this place of emptiness. He finds himself wishing that someone would just offer him the same food that the pigs are getting to eat, but yet no one is offering him anything. He's hungry, he's lost, and then in this moment in verse 17, something starts shifting. It says that, he says, but when he came to himself, he began to think differently. This was the moment that repentance started in the heart of the son. It says that he began to think different. He, he came to himself. He said, my father's servants, they have more than enough food, 
I'll go to my father, I'll repent for my actions, and I'll give up my position as son because that's what I deserve. I want you to just think about this story and I want you to think about your life and I want you to think about in the ways in which uh, you respond to God when you feel like you have messed up in a really, really bad way. I don't know if you're like me, but there's been so many times where I've prayed things like, Lord, restore me back into relationship as a son. And this is where this prodigal son, find, he finds himself. He's, he's saying, this is what I deserve. Notice the way that he chose to live. He lived this sinful, this immoral, this uh, reckless life. And the way in which he lived told him, this is actually what you now deserve. He goes to his father and, and, he, and he turns back to going home. And I love how the father just completely ignores his son's story of repentance. It's like I would imagine that as the son was walking home, as he's, as he's setting out on this journey home, he is just rehearsing all of the things that he might say so that hopefully, just hopefully, he'll sneak back into his dad's household only as a hired servant because that's what he's worthy of because of his sin. And the moment that this son opens his mouth to his father, the father almost, it's almost as if the son is right here and the father says, hey, bring the best of the best, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Get him a ring, get him sandals. It's almost like he didn't even hear the fact that his son was coming to repent. It was like he ignored him. Why? Because the father was so infatuated with the son. He said, oh, no, no, this is my son, and he will have the best. It doesn't matter what he looks like. It doesn't matter where he's been. Bring me the best and bring it now. Clothe my son because he is mine, and my sons are clothed in the best. I want you to picture yourself in this story. It seems like the father, he cared nothing about hearing of his son's repentance. I love that there are two perspectives in this story. There's the son's perspective and then there's the father's perspective. But one of the things that never changed in this entire story is this. The thing that never changed was the fact that to the father, the son was always his son. When his son was out of the house, when his son was living the way that he was living, when he didn't know where his son was, the father never stopped believing and never stopped thinking of him as anything less than his son. And I would propose to you, any time that you have run from God and you thought that you got so far away that now you had to come and scrape back in to the household of God, the father has never forgot you as his son or as, or as, as his daughter. We have to begin to reshape and rethink the way that we believe about ourselves when we're doing well and when we're not doing so well because the Father's perspective towards you has never changed. And it will never change, why? Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession for you and for me. That means that when I'm not in the household of God and when I'm not doing the thing that God has assigned for me to do and I am missing the mark, if you wanna call it that, or I am 
I'm acting a fool, if you want to call it that, or I am living my wild life. Every single time that you're missing the mark, what the Father sees is Jesus sitting next to him, and he sees you through the filter of what Jesus did on the cross. Repentance is for your heart. Repentance is for your heart because what repentance means is that you recognize that there's something about your life that is not what Jesus actually gave his life for you to live in. And for you to ignore that would, you, would be you stepping further into pride. But for you to acknowledge that there is something in your life that needs to be reconciled to God means that you're stepping into a place of humility. And God gives more grace to the humble, is what the scripture says. The prodigal son always had sonship in the house of his father. And you always have sonship. And you always have daughtership in the household of your father. As I was visiting yesterday, I was actually talking to Steve-O. We were both up here and just, he was getting ready for worship stuff. I was getting ready for message stuff and I just was talking to him a little bit about what I was gonna share today and, and he literally reminded me of the Lion King story. I need you to tap into your childlikeness, maybe tap into your younger years. For some of you, maybe it's not all the way back to childhood, but uh, if you've never seen The Lion King, at this point in your life, you deserve to have the movie ruined, and so I will be gladly the one that does that for you. The Lion King is such a beautiful picture of exactly what we're talking about. In this movie, we, we see how Simba was the son of the King Mufasa. Then there's this evil uncle, his name is Scar, and his plan is to steal the kingdom, steal the pride lands, to rule and reign. And we, we see that the, 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 evil, the evil one, Scar, he sends this uh, pack of hyenas, which were like demons in my opinion, uh, especially when I was a kid, and just looked it, especially the one that his eyes were all crossed and things. Uh, anyways, Ed, it was Ed, it was Ed, I remember. It was, it was Ed. They send this giant herd and this stampede of, of uh, wildebeest down this canyon and, and Scar goes and he tells Mufasa that Simba's in trouble and you know the whole story and uh, he saves his son and then as he's trying to save his son, he's crawling out of this canyon and at the very top, Scar literally looks like he's gonna reach for, for Mufasa's hands but he digs his claws into his hands and he sends him off the cliff and Mufasa dies at the bottom of the valley. Simba runs. Scar drives him out of this land that was actually supposed to be his inheritance. And then we find this moment where Simba has kind of grown up as a younger lion. And there's this monkey in the movie, and his name is Rafiki, and I think he's like the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, Rafiki, he's, he leads Simba to the water and he says, tell me what you see. And Simba looks into the water and he sees a reflection, but he just sees his reflection. He says, I see nothing. And then he, Rafiki, he, he stirs up the water and he says, look again. And the second time that he looks, he looks and he sees the reflection of his father, Mufasa, the king. And all of a sudden, the clouds split. And Mufasa begins to speak to his son. It's much like that moment when Jesus come out of the water of baptism and the clouds spit split and, and the father started speaking to Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It was like Disney got it right on this one and I believe that in Jesus' name Disney is going to be redeemed again. Uh, <laughs> so I have kids that are trying to watch Disney movies and I can't let them. Uh, anyways, parent issues. 
But in this moment, the clouds split and Mufasa begins to speak to his son. And he calls him by name and he, he begins to impart some things to Simba. He reminds him of who he is in this setting. He says a few profound things to him. One of the most profound things that he says to Simba, he says, as king, I was proud of one thing, having you as my son. And I want you to just sit in that just for a moment. I want you to hear the father say as king, I was proud of one thing and it was having you as my son. It was having you as my daughter. Mufasa goes on to say also, I will never leave you. I've never left you. And then he just says, remember who you are. Remember. And he disappears back up into the clouds. And in this moment, Simba, his mind changes. His thoughts change. All of a sudden, he finds himself again, he runs back to the Pride Lands and he overthrows his evil uncle, Scar, and he takes back what was rightfully his the whole time. And this is what repentance looks like. You change your thoughts and you turn back. And then you live in such a way and you act in such a way that you reclaim and you go after the heritage and the person and the character of who you actually are because of who your father is. It was the only reason that, that Simba could even go back to the Pride Lands is because of the fact that his father was the king and he was heir to the throne. And you are joint heirs with Jesus. It's time for us to rethink when we think about ourselves and who Jesus says that we are. And it's time that we turn back and we start reclaiming some things that the enemy has stolen from us time and time and time again as it pertains to our, re our identity. You need to understand this, that if you can be talked out of who God says that you are, then the enemy knows that you'll never be talked into doing the things that Jesus said you can do. If the enemy can come in little by little by little to get you tripped up, to get you thinking something other than what Jesus has said about you, then he knows that you will never be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And the greatest attack on us as sons and daughters of God is the attack on our identity. I'm telling you that if you believed not just in God, but also believe the fact that you're redeemed and chosen to be used by him. And that with his backing, your life would look completely different. I think so often we, little by little by little, we get moved off of the mark of who we are in Jesus and we start entertaining things that we should never be entertaining. Bill Johnson, he said this the other day in a message and I just, I thought it was so profound and so fitting for this, he said, Evil things only become appealing to people who have forgotten who they are. Little by little by little, the enemy tries to move you off of your identity in Christ to get you to think that maybe you're less than, to get you to think that maybe the way in which you lived, when you come back to the Father, you should renounce your position as son and just say, let me be a hired servant. 
And once he gets you into this place, he tries to move you into this place of isolation in your thought process. You might be around people, but you're alone in your thoughts. And before you know it, the things that weren't appealing now become appealing. The things that were temptations that you just scrolled past are now things that you're settling down on a little longer. Think about David. Think about King David. I'm not gonna read the whole story, but in 2 Samuel, you'll find that King David, in a time where kings, 2 Samuel 11, where kings go off to war, it said that King David sent his men ahead of him, and he stayed back at home. He stayed in the palace. What you need to understand when it comes to your identity in Christ, you can never let yourself grow idle Never go into neutral as it pertains to who you are in Jesus. Always be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith for identity. He is where your value is. King David shifts it into neutral and sends everyone else out and decides to stay home. And as he stays home, one day he's walking the rooftop of his palace and as he's walking the rooftop of his palace, he sees a woman that is bathing, Bathsheba. And he sees that she's a good looking woman and so he sends his servants to go ask her to come and meet him. And his servant says, no, 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 you, this is Uriah's wife. Send, send, word, send word to her anyways. She comes up, she meets the king, the king invites her in, the king sleeps with her. This is like days of our lives in scripture. Where do you think that they got their scripts from? And so he sleeps with this man's wife and he gets her pregnant. And so he comes up with this plan to cover his tracks. All the while he should be the king who is at war because that is the season. So he has his men send Uriah home, sends this woman's husband home and, and says, come home. Uh, go sleep in your own home. Basically what he's trying to do is he's trying to get this man to go back and sleep with his wife so that once Uriah finds out that she is pregnant, Uriah will just think, and so will everyone else, that it was Uriah's child the whole time. Uriah was a noble man and he wouldn't go back to his house to sleep in his bed with his wife because he knew that his men were at battle and he should be with them. He wakes up the next morning and David's anxious to hear how things went. He's like, I didn't sleep in my bed. The next night, David invites him over, gets him drunk. The plot thickens. Gets him drunk and sends him hopefully back home so that hopefully in his drunken stupor he might forget the men that are in battle that he should be alongside and that he might sleep with his wife so that David's tracks can be covered. And it doesn't happen and so what ends up going forth is that David sends a note with Uriah to the commander of the army and says put Uriah in the thickest part of the battle and when it gets really hot and heavy, and when the fire is coming down on him, when the swords are blazing, and when the, when, when the men are pressing towards him, retreat so that he'll be killed. The moment that you start becoming idle in your pursuit of who you are in Christ is the moment that evil things become more appealing than ever before. And I believe that if we started believing more in who God says that we are, we would live less in the shame of our sin 
and we would actually start stepping into the grace that is on our life. This thing that David did, it displeased the Lord greatly. I want you to just pay attention. This is what I'm saying, pay attention to what you say and what you believe about yourself. You're too important to not invest in the right type of a belief about who you are in Christ. You were bought at a high price is what the scripture says. I just desire and just encourage you to live in response to God in such a way that the death of his son Jesus doesn't appear to be something that was done in vain. I'm gonna close with this. If you change your beliefs, you'll change your life. I wanna read this to you, it's gonna be on the screen. It says, if you accept a belief, you reap a thought. And if you sow a thought, you reap an attitude. And if you sow an attitude, you reap an action. And if you sow an action, you reap a habit. And if you sow a habit, you reap a character. And if you sow a character, you reap a destiny. If you take the first line and the last line, it simply reads this. If you accept a belief, you reap a destiny. And what you believe about yourself, it actually really matters. Never stop being and never stop believing that you are designed and called to be a son or a daughter of the Most High King because that is where your value is and what he has called you. And he has called you son and he has called you daughter because of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.